This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. New reports highlight the growing kidnapping crisis in Nigeria where Christians are regarded as soft targets for abduction. Meanwhile, another church leader was recently killed by his abductors. Now, earlier this year, a report from the United Kingdom parliamentarians heard that almost 90% of all Christians kidnapped worldwide are abducted in Nigeria. And according to the charity Aid to the Church in Need, 5,200 Christians were kidnapped in Nigeria from January 2021 to June 2022. And this year, by mid-November, 23 clergy and church workers had been abducted and several were murdered. And to talk about the ongoing attacks on the followers of Jesus in Nigeria is Reverend John Joseph Hayep, who is the Kaduna State Chairman of the Christian Association of Nigeria. He is also the Country Director of Global Peace Foundation Nigeria. Reverend Hayab, nice to see you again and welcome to Closer to the Fire. Thank you, Greg, for having me. It is my singular honor and pleasure to be with you on this important discussion. Yeah, it is. And Nigeria, as you know, because we met a few months ago, is uh, something that has been on my heart for a number of years. Uh, it is tragic, all the things that are going on, although we do know that the Lord is working in the midst of the persecution. But let's talk about the motivation for these kidnappings of Christians. Is it just about money? Is it about religion? Or is it about both? Yeah, it is about both. And there could be other, other underlining factors attached to it. One, the Christian unity is something that intimidates the enemy of the church. And so how do we attack their unity? Is to create pains among them because whenever a Christian cleric or Christians are kidnapped, it takes the entire church to come together to respond to rescue him or to rescue her. And you know, it's not easy looking at the let me say the economic situation of Nigeria today, when the people come to church every day and the whole idea is that they should gather money because one of us has been kidnapped, you are just virtually telling them stop coming to church because when next you come to church, you'll be asking you for money for another person who has been kidnapped. So I think it's a yeah. strategy by the enemy of the church to discourage many people from continuing to be in church, to discourage people from that fellowship and unity that we have exhibited. And then it is actually a clear jihad against the church. Because for us in Northern Nigeria, and from some of the conversations we've had for, with people who came out from the dent of the kidnappers, we just realized that there's a deliberate ploy to ensure that Christians suffer. And that's why if a Christian pastor is kidnapped, he hardly come back alive. If the wife of a pastor is kidnapped, she hardly come back alive. So they could kidnap all other people, whether they're Christians or Muslim, and just collect money and they go. But for killing, they restrict that to Christians. They restrict that to especially pastors. So you can see that it is there's a religious part of it. There's also the money aspect of it. And then uh, there's this politics of it where we believe strongly that before the last general election, the rate at which the kidnapping was happening happened deliberately because it was a strategy to, one, discourage Christians from coming out to even converse their opinion about the politics of the land or coming out to cast their vote because people will be thinking, oh, when we come out to cast our vote, we will be killed. And so when you see the kind of result coming out in areas where Christians have 
run away, where Christians have left their home, you will see that not many people came out to vote. So it was actually a strategy for one, religion, two, money, and the third one, for political power. And we have seen that political power is a strong tool for the advancement of Islam and for those who persecute the church, because if they don't have political power, they can easily be arrested, they can easily be persecuted, or they can easily be tracked down. But once politics is involved in it, those in power, even when you report that something has happened to you, will play with it, will delay it, before they will even react. The bandits or the terrorists or those who are causing you evil have disappeared. And they will tell you, we came, but we never saw anybody. Wow. So... There is the motivation because of the economy. So that kidnapping yeah. goes on and some may claim to be Muslim and really have no interest in Islamizing people. It's all about money. Then you've got those that are strategizing to weaken and damage the church and just cause despair. And we've seen that all over the world. And then you, you factor in the politics. Correct. So how do you then... Uh, you know, try to speak to the government, the military, uh, to take action to stop this if there's so many levels here. Because in the north, where you are, it's mostly Muslim up there. So there is this idea that they want to make that part of Nigeria totally Muslim, and Christians need to go and anybody else that doesn't hold along to that. So how do you do that, John, when you've got so many attacks coming? We know ultimately the attack is coming from the enemy. But, you know, from the physical point of view, it's coming from so many different places. The real thing here is how to remain honest and truthful to all the stories you know. You see, when the attack is coming for religion, call it a religious attack. When the attack is coming because of economy, name it what it is. When the attack is coming because of politics, call it the name of politics. But you see, there's a deliberate strategy here out there to confuse us so that we will call them the same. We will just assume they are the same. No, you can, for me as a church leader in Kaduna State, I know the difference between attacks that are mainly to convert people to religion. I know also attacks that are for money. And I'll give you an example. When this bandit came and attacked and took away our children at the Bethel Baptist High School, hmm. 121 of them, many of them stayed for three months, for four months, and finally 120 of them came back after six months, but one never came back until after two years, four months. What was the reason? The reason is that when they took them, they told the school authority, that was the Baptist mission, of that area that look we are going to keep one of these children and we'll keep him so that we'll convert him to islam he will grow and marry and give back to and marry and give back to children who will practice islam by so doing we have depopulated christianity and have increased the population of islam you can see that was clearly the strategy and the strategy was well defined and well orchestrated so people should not be confused about that when they went and picked reverend fathers and pastors and even eventually kill them the fact that they collected the ransom that was meant for them to be released but they didn't release them and kill them they were not killing them because they misbehave in the camp they were killing them purposely because they don't want them to come and continue to preach that jesus that they have been preaching some pastors have come back but they came back as a testimony to show that god is still at work to deliver people the way he delivered peter and others in the prison so this is the reality of what is happening but when it also comes to politics 
they will have their demands and the demands you will see it clearly that it is about politics what is happening in northern nigeria today has a lot of religious ground the fact about it is that you cannot separate it from religious issue uh, sometimes i have told people who come around to ask me questions that look there is this notion that it is a farmer's hardest conflict no there is no farmer's hardest because there is no farm in between these people the issue is purely one criminality secondly religious persecution and totally political motivated so that christians will be weak and not strong enough to even aspire or to even challenge certain things that are happening like myself having been in the forefront of challenging government as you asked me what have i been telling government i will call them to live and act in accordance with the what they took to defend the constitution of Nigeria. And right. what is the provision of the constitution? The constitution simply says every citizen's rights will be protected. So the governor or whoever is the political leader have responsibility to protect lives and properties. Not properties and lives of a particular tribe or a particular uh, adherence of a certain faith, but every citizen of the country, including those who have just come to live in that city. So I will always call on government to do what the constitution asks them to do. But you see, in the last eight years, one of the most painful experiences is that you have someone who have sworn on or to protect lives, but he was even defending the terrorists. He was defending the bandits. He was even speaking for them instead of telling them uh -huh. what you are doing is wrong. Uh, that was the challenge we faced in the last government. There's a little bit shift now, but the criminals have already found a field day. The terrorists have already found a field day. So to just get rid of them will not be something that you would do that in one month or in two months or in a short time. So that is where we are, where we are. In Kaduna, up to today, as I was speaking to a church yesterday, that kidnapping have not stopped. They are still kidnapping people. You know what happened two weeks ago when the pastor was kidnapped mm -hmm. uh, and the situation, they left his wife. And so many people keep becoming victims of kidnapping. Yesterday night, something happened in Nigeria. The military force is trying to pursue terrorists and using the helicopter, mistakenly release bomb that fall in the mix of some Muslim groups that we are celebrating Mauludi. But you see, this is the challenge we have because terrorists are hiding under such group of people. Terrorists are using such groups for cover and it ended up over 30 of them were killed and several of them injured that is what we've been battling with but if we had addressed the insecurity challenges long ago we wouldn't have had this situation and that was the mistake of government and that is the challenge we face every day as leaders calling on government to do something and there will be no action the fact about it is that they will even prefer you don't speak and cover up the the, the, the the atrocity that has been committed. If your brother or your pastor has been kidnapped, never tell anybody. Act as if nothing has happened so that you will be a good citizen. If you speak, then you are the enemy of the state. So many pastors become afraid to speak, but as Reverend Hayab and as the chairman of Khan, it's my responsibility to speak on behalf of Christians, to call on the security, to call on the government to act and act responsibly and with every urgency that is required so that those kidnapped can be rescued. Those who are in their homes should not be kidnapped. Why is it so important then, uh, Reverend Hayab, to uh, make a distinction between kidnapping uh, for ransom uh, or pastors that have, you know, been kidnapped and they're or you know, Christians and they try to force them to Islam and the politics, because I, I think somebody from, say, you know, listening to this podcast where I am in Canada or wherever in the Western world, it's say, you know, it's persecution. Why do we need to make the distinction? Yeah, the reason is that 
there's a deliberate ploy by government and other agencies to mix up the two okay. and call them one. And then that was, that's when you hear, no, kidnapping is Nigeria. It's everybody that is a victim. No. Yes, kidnapping is everywhere in Nigeria, but there are certain targets and there are agendas responsible for the kidnapping. Why would innocent treasure be taken away from his mother, be taken away from his school, be taken away and his education disrupted for two years, four months, and the simple reason is to convert him to Islam? Why would innocent treasure, who was at home, could speak his dialect, could speak in English, but when he came back, he could only speak Hausa, the Hausa that he didn't even know how to speak, that's the vernacular language at home, and Fulani language, that's the language of those who are in the forefront of this kidnapping business and this kidnapping uh banditry so if it were not an agenda so when you put his situation as if it were just one of those no you didn't you are not doing you are not helping him and you are not working to address the situation because the bandits know the bandits have said this several times like personally i speaking i have on record and i have the the, 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 the security report when the bandits reached out to me and told me that they have been paid to kidnap me one they said if they kidnap me it will be a big issue in the country. If they kidnap me, they will demand for huge ransom and they will eventually kill me. What is my offense? Simply because I was speaking for the church. So when you add that kind of threat with other general threats, you are making mistake because you will be thinking that it's just every other criminal. It's not. And then secondly, when kidnapping became a big business among the Fulanese and among the bandits, other people who now saw that government was not coming after them started kidnapping. Yeah. Why were they kidnapping? They were simply kidnapping to get money because they are hungry. So when you fix this one, these ones will not kill you. These ones will not ask you to convert to any religion, whether you're a Christian or Muslim. All they want from you is give me money. And they're not going to demand such huge money that will make it impossible for you. They will quickly demand what you can give them and let them collect the money and go. So we have this category of kidnappers and we must differentiate them before we mix up those who have an religious agenda from those who are just simply looking for food, taking advantage of the weakness of our government, who have not been able to time all these challenges that we are facing. It is so complicated in so many ways. And, and because the government is not acting, and as you say, now they're getting almost a free pass. Hey, you can kidnap and nothing's going to happen, uh, you know, beyond even the Christian community. Now, you were mentioning uh, Treasure Ayuba. So, there, so actually some good news here. Uh, yeah. He was the final captive of 121 students abducted from the Bethel Baptist High School uh, in Kaduna. And he was able to escape. It's quite an amazing story. He escapes. He comes home and his family was joyful, of course, but they did not expect him to escape. So tell me more about that, because, you know, you go back and I think about July 2021, when uh, all the 121 students were kidnapped, ransoms were paid and an exorbitant amount of money was also paid uh, to get these uh, Christians released. Now, Treasure was 12 years old at the time of his captivity. But the good news is he has been released. Uh, I mean, obviously, there was a lot of joy from his family, which did not expect to see him when he came to their home. So I guess in this case, Reverend Hayab, you, you, there, there is a time to celebrate because of this good news story. Yeah, that's why I'm smiling. Uh, anytime, before now, anytime the issue of treasure comes up, I'll be worried because I know how his grandmother feels. He's absent. His mother cries every day. 
I know that the grandmother have visited virtually every prayer house in the city. Many prayer houses around the country where they will go and men of God will tell her, pray for her. Sometimes she will go and she can't come back. I will have to source for phone and give her to come back. I understand the pains that woman goes through. She wanted her son. She wanted her grandson come back. She wanted her child to come back. Uh, in a particular time, she, the family called, reached out to me when after the first 120 had been released and they told me, look, we are struggling to get treasure back, but they, we don't have money and everybody is back. Treasure is not back. I walked with them. We sourced for fun and pleaded with the bandits. They promised us that they are going to release treasure and told us the amount of ransom we're supposed to pay, which is different from the one that, which has been earlier paid. We gave them 50% of the amount so that they, once they release treasure, we'll give them the second uh, amount. Unfortunately, they, those who took the money went with the money. They kidnapped them. They collected the money and kidnapped them again. Oh. We went looking for another money to get them rescued and come back. After some time, we lost touch with all those that we were communicating with because their numbers were no longer going. So for Treasure Mom and his grandmother, they thought that their son is dead. But she keep praying, trusting God for a miracle. Yeah, It happens on this fateful day that Treasure, who was among the one that was kidnapped on the 5th of July, 2021, Treasure actually spent two years three months and 27 days. So that's why we say he spent two years and four months with the bandit. Yeah. The bandit kept moving from one location to another. Treasure was just kept there as an innocent boy, but they had done something by creating fear in his mind that if he comes back, he's going to die. Because one of the stories he told me is that they told him that some of those children that came back, they died. So make an attempt to come back, you're just going to come and die. So he had started even practicing saying Islamic prayers and acting and living like them, but not involved in the banditry because they only keep him in the camp and never moved with him. So on that fateful day, they had moved to a different location, a location that is completely strange to the young boy. He just picked courage and felt, this is the time for me to move. Wow. And he took off early in the morning when most people had gone early morning prayer, uh, Muslim prayer, they've gone, and he never came back. He kept walking. He told me that when he reached a particular location, he knew that they cannot come because the system there is that they don't go beyond certain location because they are afraid people may see them or some of their victims may notice them. So the moment he reached there, he simply just asked someone, where can I find a vehicle to Kaduna? And the person guided him to the park. He boarded the vehicle and paid but he had to live in that car quietly, not even allowing anybody to notice him or identify him. And he drove for over, he sat in that car for over seven hours because it's a long distance from that axis to Kaduna. When he arrived, he could hear the vehicles calling the area his parents are staying, and he entered the next vehicle. When he arrived somewhere near his house, his eyes opened. He could understand how to walk to his house. He moved into the house. Nobody knew he was the one. When he knocked at the door, one of the youngest, one of the sisters or auntie came out to open the door. Having been away for two years, four months, but she could recognize him. This is treasure. But treasure was speaking in the tone that was not like before. She ran in because she was afraid. 
She went in and called her grandma, come and see what I'm seeing. The grandma came out. She saw him. She too disbelieved and ran back and told her daughter, who is with her, the mother of treasure, come and see what we are seeing. And they came out. First, they thought it was a ghost or it was something strange. And lo and behold, truly it was treasure. They embraced him. They cried. They prayed. Oh. And the next person they called, they called me. Why? Because of that intervention I did for them when everybody had forgotten about it. And they called me for three reasons. One, they were also scared. Is he really bad? Is there something they don't know about? Two, they, were, they also called me because, okay, he's bad. Is he healthy? They are not having money. What did they do that night? And then totally they felt for the honor and the kind of sacrifice I made for them, let them hand over the young boy to me for some time until he's stable before he'll come back to them. So within one hour, I was in the house. I also saw it. I was shocked. I hugged him. I prayed. I sang. I sing songs of praises. After that, we prayed and I took him away. Then to my house. Before I break the news to the country, I took him to the hospital. And that's what we've been doing up to now. I've been taking him for some psychosocial support because mm -hmm. I understand he needs it. Yes. So he freely communicates with me all the time. He tells me some of his experience, what he saw, the kind of people that are involved, those who were involved and got killed before he finally, because along the line, many of the ring leaders got killed by many of the military attacks. But because he was in the camp, he had no power to run away. So they keep changing him from one commander to another. From one commander. The fact that when we were interrogating him and asking him questions about this person, he said, no, this person is dead long ago. This other person, oh, this person died three months ago. Oh, the, so virtually the names we knew, all of them have been killed. But they are so large that even if the first commander is killed, there are more than 20, 50 people down the line that will still take up the responsibility of leading the team of the bandits. So that's what happened. But finally, he came home and he brought the things he brought with him. I just collect them. As I speak to you now, I still have those things with me because they are not things he's going to use. Uh, we don't know whether they use it for whatever thing. Yeah. So we just take care of him and took him to church the next day for prayers and continue to counsel him and do the trauma healing for him, believing that he will overcome. And probably in a month or two, we can advise him to go to school because at the moment, I'm not sure he's in the right state of mind for us to just rush to school without first doing the needful. Right, yeah, the, the trauma part uh, will be very important, you know, with the counseling and all those kinds of things. Now, you had a, a news conference which was broadcast to the nation. We have seen it, you know, on the internet over here. Uh, and where you had a news conference and you clearly said that he was not there on his own will. That was kind of one of the things that he wanted to convert to Islam. And now he was, uh, you know, he was free. And you wanted to make sure that people understood that, you know, he had been kidnapped against, obviously against his will, but he had not converted to Islam and he didn't want to be there anymore. Why did yeah. you feel that was he... important? Why did you feel that was important uh, to broadcast that to the nation? Yeah, when he the, the 120 came back, there was a wrong story spread around the country that he himself said he wants to remain with the bandits. And so if he would say he wants to remain with the bandit, what was that that they offered him? Did they offer him something? So when we wanted to interrogate and nobody wanted to remain with them, he said, how could I have even want to remain with them? I was a small boy. 
When they took the 121, he was the smallest among them. And they call him the name Smolly, the smallest. So they will always come back from their operations and buy biscuit and give him. They won't want him to suffer like the other ones. If there is anything to be given, he will first be given before the bigger ones. So that treatment, they use it to draw him to themselves. Then after he became close to them, then they now brought out the idea and said, look, the moment we took you people from school, there was one chap that came back. And that chap died the moment he returned. So quit simply means if you also want to go back, you will go and die like the other young man. How do I know they told him this? He simply was having a conversation with me in the early in the morning in the hospital because he spent the night there, two nights, three nights there. And he said to me, the other boy that they released the first two days died. Oh, what a pity. And I said to him, the boy died? Who told you that? He said, that's what he knows since he has been in the camp. I wasn't so sure of the story. I thought whether something had happened that I didn't know. So I put a call to the school principal and I put a call to the Baptist president. I said, wait a minute. What happened to the first boy that came back? What happened that he died? They said, no, the boy is alive. He's in social no. place. I said, no, wait a minute. This young man is aware and I've been told that the boy died. But that tells you that they just walk on his psyche yeah, they putting were that kind of story. Games. Yeah. Oh, young man, if you go, you are going to die like the other boy. So all these two years, four months, he has been thinking that that boy is dead, not knowing that the boy is alive. Yeah. So you can see how they did. So they one, they entice him with their gifts and love. Two, they put fear, they play mind game on him and put fear in him not to. And the third thing is. They took him to, to places where ordinarily he cannot even try to escape. How will he escape a young boy who do not know anything? He, Sir, as I speak with you here, he actually do not even know the name of the town he escaped from. How did we know where he escaped from? Because we asked him for that question. When you escaped, how did you find your way? What kind of vehicle did you enter? What was the cost of the vehicle? From such explanation, we could deduce that, okay, from Kaduna to this place will take you this hour. From Kaduna to this place will cost you this amount. And that's how we understood where he came from. So he actually never had one idea. So you can see the idea of even escaping was not going to be easy for him because he didn't know where they were. They took him to. He only hears stories and they tell him stories that will make him make it difficult for him to even want to escape because, but when it was time, I would say when it was the time of God, he didn't need any other counsel. God just let him. And it was the time they have asked him to move out for the normal morning Islamic prayer. And he went out like if he was going to pray with them. And he keeps walking and keep walking. Having walked for over an hour, he knew that he had traveled far and there was no way they would reach him. And then he saw a village and he saw people and it was already daybreak. And he asked them questions and they guide him. And that was how he came back home that you know it's an amazing story because you think of how he was brainwashed how That's you know right. fear was put into him he was 12 mm -hmm. years old so obviously his age came into factor they think that they can you know control him brainwash That's him right. and yeah. get him to convert to islam and and yet in spite of the fear in spite of everything he leaves, and and as you said, it was it was a God moment, and uh, you know I look. That's a God moment, and you know yeah. people were really praying all over Nigeria and across the world. 
That I know very well. And I've just shared with you how his grandmother and mother went to different prayer houses, trusting God for a miracle. At some time, they were discouraged, but they keep hoping that one day something will happen. And this is what it means to trust God. When you trust God, you may be going through difficulty, but a time and a day will come that not by your power, not by your might, not because of your wisdom, mm. God will miraculously deliver you. That was exactly what happened yeah. to treasure. And I've said this to him and his parents, that look, God did this so that none of us would take the glory. God did this so that none of us say, oh, we brought him out, we gave money. We didn't give money when he came back. Oh, we're the ones who talked to the bandit. We never talked to the bandit when he came back. Oh, we're the ones who consulted the powers that be in this situation God did it himself, and to God be the glory and nothing more. Amen. And uh, I know in the midst of all the things that you have to deal with in terms of believers being kidnapped and killed and the attacks on the church, this is one of those stories that we hold to and reminded that God's in control, even in the midst of the most difficult situations. It really reminds me uh, you know, something we'd read in the book of Acts, and we'll continue to yes. pray for treasure. I know there's Amen. a long road ahead for him, but obviously the Lord's got some things planned for him, and I hope, Lord willing, I'd have an opportunity to meet him someday. And, and you, you know, will share, surely meet him. Yeah, yeah. and hear more of, of that incredible story as he's on that journey. Now, on November 17th, it was reported, now we're talking about kidnappings, that a pastor was kidnapped and that he was subsequently killed, even though the ransom was paid. His name is David Musa of the Evangelical yeah. Church winning all denomination. Why is, they paid the ransom and then they kill him? And I think you you alluded to that earlier that it's not just yeah, about that's the why money. I said yeah, that there are kidnappings for persecution to weaken Christianity, to humiliate Christians. Look, because this word is very important. Even if we don't succeed in what we want, let us humiliate them. Let us show them that they are not there. So the bandits have told many of our members that they kidnapped such words. We will humiliate your pastors. We will humiliate the church. Like Esther Kantiok, the wife of the pastor of also Evangelical Church winning all in Brinningwari, she was pregnant at the time they kidnapped her. They did not just collect money, collected money, but they killed her and they took her body and threw it away. After collecting money, Esther never came up. The fact is that it was after many months before her corpse was found somewhere and where you cannot even dare want to pick it because it has become something else. So it is sad that this kind of Christians are going through this. And let me say this sincerely to our viewers that many Christians today, it takes courage to continue to openly tell people you are a believer. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't want to be humiliated that way. No, no. Why should they kidnap no. 10 people and then once they know that you are a Christian and a strong standing Christian, the treatment they are going to give you will be for humiliation. And others, they may collect money and ask them to go. So you can see, you can't compare such act with just money. It goes beyond money. They collect the money to impoverish us but they also humiliate us and kill us so that we will not be strong enough and we will shut up if we are making noise at all. And you must see that that's why many church pastors in Nigeria 
are so afraid that they can't speak. Even when they see evil, they will not want to talk about evil. If you call some pastors in Nigeria and you want to hold this interview you're holding with me, they will tell you, no, 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 sorry, sir. I don't want to speak because I don't want my face to be seen. I don't want anybody to hear me. So because people are afraid. But you see, we are Christians, and the Bible tells us that uh, when God's spirit is in us, it's not a spirit of fear. But you see, people are human. They have to be afraid. They have to be afraid. I, in many occasions, have been offered security uh, uh, cover by security men, but because I don't even trust having a security man around me, I have refused it. I prefer to continue to trust in God and take wise decision on where I go, what I do, for my safety and the safety of my family, and to keep telling government what she do not want people to tell her. Because if we do not say these things and people do not know this truth, they will continue to be misled into believing that, no, it's everybody's issue. No, there are persecution, this kidnapping. There are those who are doing it mainly to persecute Christians. So they go to Christian community. That's why they will carry people and still set churches ablaze. Because if it is just a bandit, he will just pick people either in their homes or on the road and collect money. But why certain churches are blessed if there's no religious persecution around that? Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, I got to know you a little bit. We were at a conference together. Uh, you're a bold man. Uh, you are not afraid to go into the public arena, you know, whether it's television, uh, public meetings, uh, you challenge the government. Uh, you know, I know that that puts you and your family in danger. I mean, you're human too, John. You're, uh, yeah. you know, you, you love your family um, and you want to, you know, you want to live at peace if, if that would be possible. What keeps motivating you then just to keep doing what you're doing? You know, I mean, just, you know, maybe I'll just take it easy now. Let somebody else uh, do what I was doing. And, you know, I'll, I'm just going to live a quieter life. What motivates well, you? See, what keeps you? What keeps you going? When you are called by God, He sets you apart, and if God sets you apart, He sets you apart for a mission. Like Jeremiah, He says, "Look, don't say you are a small boy. I will be with you, and all others are God called." So I believe that I've been called by God to speak for my people. If I begin to entertain fear. If I begin to shy away from my responsibility, then I'm exposing the larger group of Christians to risks. I will discharge my responsibility as long as God spare my life. I will discharge my responsibility because I know I'll be accountable to God that when I gave you the responsibility of standing and uh, shepherding the flock of God, what did you do? So I am doing this because of my calling. I'm doing it because I believe it is God's call, God's assignment. It's not about me and God have what it takes to protect me. I saw he did that during the time of Peter. He did that during the time of Paul. He did that during the time of so many other apostles and he can do that today. You see, there must be a leader who will speak for his people and the leader must be an example of courage, an example of faith, believing God. If I tell the people there, like, trust God, continue to come church to church, trust God, God will defend you and I'm a coward, they will just smile and say he's not even living according to what he's teaching. So if I tell them to trust God, I should be the example of people who trust God. I've had many people who say, oh, pastor, we're so happy with your courage. We're so happy with the way you stand for us. Uh, we want, we love you. We are, we are praying for you. And that's my consolation. At least someone is praying for me. And this is the answer to prayer, that as they are praying for me, I'm having the courage to continue to speak out to government and call on government to do what is right. Because I am a Nigerian. 
And as a Nigerian, I know what the constitution provides for me, that I should be protected. I can understand why my government is not protecting me, my government is not protecting my brothers, and the simple sin they commit is because of their religious identity. Yeah. I must say this here, that I was privileged to be the only pastor that met Blinken when Blinken came to Nigeria, yeah, just a few yes. days after they have lived the... Um, they have removed Nigeria from countries of particular concern. And I told him this to his face. I said, look, that decision you took is like a situation where you said, we have no business with you. If you live, you live. If you die, you die. Ours is, we want to remain good. We want to remain gentlemen to your government. We don't care what happened to you. He looked at me, though he appreciated that I came all the way from Kaduna to say those words to him. And I reminded him that if anybody sits here and tell you that there is no religious persecution in Nigeria, is not telling you the truth. If people come here and tell you that, no, the crisis in Nigeria is farmers had as conflict. No, I disagree with that. And I gave him my point. One, there is no farmers had as conflict when people are sleeping in their homes and people will come with weapons, set their houses ablaze, kill women, kill children, kill everybody that they find. Where is the farm? Which farm is in conflict? Who is in conflict about the farmland here? And then also set places of worship are blessed. So you can see that this is a well-planned, this is a well-organized persecution against mm -hmm. some people, but using terminologies that will suit you and call it farmers others. We grew up with others, and we know that if there's a conflict between a farmer and others, they just go before the chief or they go before the police and they settle their scores or settle their issues. Whoever is to be fine is fine, but where someone come with weapon and shoot you, where is the harder there? Well, he listened to me, but that's government policy, and there's a limit to what he can do beyond what the government of his country wants him to do. But I want to tell those who are following that whoever tells you that the crisis in Nigeria is farmers others is just confusing you using terminologies because the killing is not farmers others, the banditry is not farmers others, the kidnapping is not farmers others. It, these things are well-organized plan to, one, eliminate some group of people because of their identity, two, to make money out of some people, and then three, to create fear in the minds of some people so that we, some people will continue to govern the country forever and ever. No wonder, after the last politics or elections in Nigeria, we had seven governors. The governor, the, the former governor of Kaduna State, publicly came out and said, look, it is their, they actually plan it to ensure that the only leaders they will have in Nigeria for the next 20 years must be Muslim, 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 Muslim. And to us Christians, we are always naive and we feel, wait a minute, governance is not about religion. Anybody can be our president. Anybody can be our governor. We want to submit to leadership the way the Bible teaches in Romans 13, that we should obey every government. Not knowing that some people prefer, do not even want us to exist. They prefer to be the ones in governance, in power, because if they are in power, they can propagate their religion. If they are in power, they will have control over the resources. If right. they are in power, they will manipulate even the kind of information that go out there. And that is the situation the Christians in northern Nigeria, and especially in Kaduna, have been facing in the last decade. Yeah, it's a difficult situation, and Christians do need to be in politics. That's a special calling in itself, but just to put our hands up in the air and say, well, we can't do anything about it. Uh, you know, we, we become so passive that you know, we're not going to advance the gospel uh, in that way. And and again, I know it's a special calling and there's a calling on you. Obviously, you're a leader in the country, not only in Kaduna, but in the whole nation speaking out for persecuted Christians. I'm going to get you to pray in a moment, but I, I want to show a video here. And, you know, because of all the attacks on the Christians, families have been traumatized, women have lost their husbands, children have lost their fathers. 
one such lady that we met actually while I was in Kaduna teaching uh, the theology of persecution and discipleship at a pastor's conference there. Uh, we met Victoria, and that was earlier this year in Kaduna, and her husband was a pastor. Here's her story. Life for Christians in certain remote regions of Nigeria can be extremely dangerous. Many have been kidnapped and killed by militant Islamic factions simply because of their faith in Jesus. Victoria's husband, Alabora, who was a pastor, was one of them. I sat down with his widow, Victoria, to talk about her story. Victoria, let's go back to September 5th, 2020. Falani militants attacked your village. What happened? So we decided to sleep early. We woke up around 1.40 from a noise we had heard at the back of the house. My husband went out and I heard a pop, pop, you know, at the back of the house. I became scared. We were inside and the boys wanted to go out and I said no. They wanted to go out and confront the people outside. I said, rather than go outside, let us pray. So four of us held hands, and I was praying. The only thing we could do was to pray to God. So when we're praying, I started hearing crying and shouting, and it was becoming louder. I went out. I saw two dead bodies close to the house. I went in. I checked the first one, and then the second one. I didn't see my husband among them, but I saw another group of people crying far from where I was. I decided to go over and check for him, and some of my church members now came and met me and told me to go back home. It was then that Victoria knew that her husband had been murdered. I didn't find it easy at all. I cried. It was a terrible experience for me. I'm conscious of the fact that death is inevitable, and I know that if God wanted to protect and stop my husband from being killed, he would have done it. But he decided to allow it for a reason. I accept that, so it has not affected my relationship with God. We know that Jesus tells us to forgive our enemies, those that do terrible things, and I mean, you lost your husband. The father of your four children was killed. Have you been able to forgive these people that did this horrible thing to your family? When it happened, I wasn't thinking about forgiveness. I wanted those people to be brought to me so that I can look at them and see the kind of people they are. But later on, I asked God to forgive them and change them. You had an opportunity to take part in the Widow's Skill Program but you decided to pass it on to your daughter. I mean, that's something that's really encouraged you and your family. It's a very, very important program. I decided to send my daughter, who later on was admitted into a school, and that sewing machine has been great, not just for my daughter, but for the entire family. Most significantly, when my daughter was going to school, she took the sewing machine, so that while she's studying, she could be using the sewing machine to do more work. And the money that she receives from sewing sustains her. While Victoria and many other widows who have lost family members due to violence are now on the road to recovery, but they still need our support and really appreciate our prayers.
we ask for prayers, especially for God to help us and increase our faith in view of all these things that have happened. It's not easy. Please ask Christians in Canada to pray that God will strengthen us and increase our faith in Him. Thank you. Amazing bravery of Victoria. She is a lady that loves God, wants to serve Him, even as she's gone through such difficulty and trauma, losing her husband. And unfortunately, uh, Reverend Hayab, that is not an unusual story. That is something that is way too common in your country. That's right. Yeah, and uh, honestly speaking, I salute the courage of Victoria, and I celebrate her uh, her commitment and dedication to God. Uh, it's not easy going through such and still stand firm and say, look, yes, I've lost the father, I've lost the husband, I've lost the breadwinner of the home. You know, in Africa, women look up to their husband for so many things. And sadly, this is the situation. But she's still standing and saying, look, I love Jesus. And there are many yeah. other Victorias out there that you may have not met. Uh, so sometimes these are the group of people that make some of us stand firm. Because if Victoria is courageous, if Victoria still stands for God, what excuse do I have? I don't mm. even know what, what excuse do I have that right. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my job that no governor is going to greet me again? No, that shouldn't be the issue. The issue is that our commitment, our desire for eternity far, is far above any material gain that we'll have here on earth. So whether we are persecuted, we will remain resolute to serve God. Whether we are denied, we will continue to follow Jesus because there's a song we used to sing that I must go with God to every land, no matter the roughness of the road, yeah. I must go I must go. So as a child of God, as a Christian, as a believer, I will continue to go with the Lord to every land. Whether the church is persecuted or the church is enjoying, whether people have been kidnapped, ransoms have been paid, whether children are kept for two years, four months, we will continue to go with the Lord because the roughness of the road is not enough to stop us or make us denounce our faith. Loving Jesus and knowing that our lives are hidden in his hands is the best that we can ever have. What shall it profit us if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? So our desire is for yeah. eternity. And if Christ will make sacrifice for us, as he says in John 3, 16, that for God's soul of the world and gave his only begotten son, yeah, yeah. why should we not also make sacrifice for one another? Why should we not even make sacrifice for the biggest sacrifice that has ever been made for us? As reciprocating, we are reciprocating that if Jesus could make such sacrifice for us, there's nothing too difficult for us to do to show that we love the Lord and we will continue to serve the Lord. It's not easy, but I no. must say it is a journey that we are not going to look back. And you remember what Jesus says, that whoever put his hand on the plow and look back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. I don't want to hear Jesus saying that about me. I prefer yeah. to hear him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You stood for the truth. You stood for the gospel. You stood for righteousness. You stood for freedom. You stood for the liberation of humanity. And that is what I desire, and I keep praying every day. So all the time I would tell my children, yes. I'm going to die, but I'm going to die when God wants to take me away. And that is when he's sure that my assignment, my work is finished. If it's not finished, I'll still be here for the next 30 years, brother. We'll be talking again in another video. So <laughs> that is how God works. Yeah. And if I become a coward, then I'm going to die earlier than my death. I'm not going to do that. And I encourage pastors that, look, let's come out. Let's 
condemn evil. Let's tell evil, evil is evil. There are people who preach by pleading. There are people who preach by rebuking. There are people who preach by position. There are people who preach by counseling. So sometimes, even when we rebuke government for not doing right, it's not just someone. Someone will know, wait a minute, why is he so firm about this? There must be something about this, his God, that is making him standing firm about it. So you have preached. And someone will now go back to think and reflect, there, this their God is true. If not, he would have, because of threat, back up. So we have many ways we will continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll find one that I will challenge those who are persecuting the church for them to know that if they think they are rendering service to God, they really do not know God because God is love. And whoever claims to love God must love his fellow human being. Even the persecutors. I mean, that was Jesus told us to, to bless yeah. those who curse us to love so our enemies. It, yeah. It's it's not easy. And, you know, I, you know, testimonies like Victoria and the others that I've met in Nigeria, it's it, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works and he uses that testimony to bring others to him, even though yeah. they've gone through such pain. And that's why ministries like Christian Solidarity Worldwide, our friend Yanusa Madu and his team uh, helping the widows and, of course, Voice of the Martyrs Canada, we partner with them. It's such an important part. I mean, and I quote this verse often, you know, from 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Yes, we yeah. need to pray, but there's some practical things that we need to do as well, and we will continue to do that. Last thing I'd like to talk to you about is when you look at the conference that we had back uh, in the summer, late summer, uh, when I came out to uh, Kaduna State, we had more than 20 pastors, leaders there uh, for a four-day conference, uh, the theology of persecution and discipleship. Why do you think that is so important to have that kind of teaching uh, to the Christian leaders there? When leaders face persecution and trouble every day, apart from consoling them, they need to improve or build their capacity to help others. Don't forget that these leaders you met are people who are in contact or in contact with many of the victims every day. Right. They too need to be refilled. That's one. And they too need their capacity to be renewed and rebuilt for continuous engagement with victims. So what God did for us last summer was sending you to Kaduna to draw our attention, not using other things, but using scripture to show us that this experience we are going through did not start with Kaduna. And we are not alone. So this is an That's experience important. that faithful long before us went through. Some of them were even killed. So though it is painful, but we should consider ourselves fortunate that we are experiencing what Jesus and his, the disciples did. When you were speaking, you won't believe what was going on in my mind. I just say, wait a minute. Is there anything to celebrate here? But here I am today, my eyes opening to see that, yes, at mixed persecution, I have many things to celebrate. No wonder Jesus said in John 16, 33, that uh, uh, in this world you have many troubles, but be of great cheers because I have overcome the world. So this is an encouragement. This That program was an encouragement to pastors. And that's why we are pleading. If there is more of this opportunity, we want more pastors to have their capacity built to understand what is the word of God saying about our experience? If you know the mind of God and understand the word of God as it affects or regards to persecution, 
then persecution will come. It will no longer frighten you. It will no longer threaten you. It will no longer disorganize you as it has been doing to many. So we want to see more pastors understanding this. But you know, this is a capital intensive project, which uh, to even fly to Nigeria, I know it's not as easy as uh, I'm speaking, but we appreciate the sacrifice and we thank you for that. And we just pray that we will have more and more of this training. Look, even beyond Kaduna, because the crisis is not restricted to Kaduna. We have challenge in Kano. We have challenge in Plateau State. We have challenge in Nasara State. We have problems in, Nasara, in Niger State. We have problems in Kogi State. We have problems in Adamawa State. We have problems in Bruno State, Yobe State, Gombe State, Bauchi State, Taraba State. And so you can mention, you can keep on mentioning them. Uh, believers are going through persecution. But when... Opportunities like this come and you train people. They go home, refill, refine, re-energize, re re and they begin to say, wait a minute. So this thing, the scripture have answers to all this. Yeah. And then the answers they get is the answers they will tell the flock. And so the flock will no longer be confused and be disorganized. So we appreciate that. And I must commend you for coming. Mm -hmm. uh, Pleasure. We've been with UNUSA for a very long time. We started the Christian Solidarity Worldwide together in 2008, and I'm still a trustee of that organization, and I'm so happy with the staff, uh, the effort they are doing, reaching out to many communities. Apart from the trauma healing, we are building capacity of pastors to even know what to report and how to report incidences that happen. There are many things happening around us that people don't know how to report, and so it goes people without knowing. Uh, in the last few days in Nigeria, there has been a story trending about a woman who only shared on a video her concern about the killing of Deborah. Deborah is a young Christian girl that was killed in one of the schools in Sokoto. And this woman in Bauchi shared a video to show concern. She has been in the cell since that time to this hour that I'm speaking to you. And someone would tell me that there is no persecution? No. What is wrong for her to share a video that do not emanate from her? And the video is talking about how should an innocent girl just be killed because she said something against somebody or against another religion? Are there not laws in the country that would have handled her for even complaining? She has been lavishing in jail. So you can see what we are going through. So it's every day you come out of this, you come out of this. And you know, a large number of the states in northern Nigeria practice what they call the Sharia law. When you come to speak with government, no, there's no Sharia in Nigeria. There is a Sharia law. And the court they took her to is a Sharia court. She's a Christian. She has no business with the court. That court supposed not to try her. But that is the situation. Yeah, How it's... will you think of Deborah going in pens? And lawyers have come in. Well, it is a big issue now in the country. We are waiting and pushing to see what they are going to do. Because you cannot treat your citizens this way just because no. of their identity. Their identity have not stopped them from being citizens. We were first Nigerian. When we gave our life, we became Christians. So when you maltreat us, when you persecute us in our country, where do we go? I can't come, though I'm a Christian. I can't go to other countries that people call them Christian countries today without a visa. So these are the challenges Christians face in Nigeria. But we thank God that messages like the teachings we receive help in building the capacity of pastors to continue to encourage people to continue to trust God. And no experiences like this did not start today. But as we remain steadfast, as we remain faithful, as we continue to look up to God, deliverance will come. 
just as it came after over 300 or 400 years in Egypt, deliverance yeah. came. A day will come, deliverance will come for his children. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. I mean, absolutely. And God is uh, working in spite of all the persecution. And I know that, you know, for me, even coming into that setting and being with pastors that have, you know, endured persecution yourself, standing, you know, in places that are very dangerous. But one of the things on my heart was not only the teaching, this is what the scripture teaches, and that's the most important thing, but then also sharing stories of other brothers and sisters around the world that are also being persecuted because they love Jesus. Uh, Reverend Hayab, before we close, I always like to you know end the program with prayer. So can you lead us in prayer? I know there's so many things that we can pray for when it comes to Nigeria. Uh, I know I'm constantly play, praying for your nation because there's always things. We have what's called the persecution and prayer alert that comes out weekly from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. And if, and if you're listening or watching and you'd like to get that, go to vomcanada.com, vomcanada.com. You can sign up. Many of the stories that we are covering come from Nigeria. And when you see them, we ask people to pray. So as we close off our podcast today, uh, Reverend uh, John Joseph Hayab, can you lead us in prayer? Thank you for asking me to pray. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe, I present to you your children, believers in Jesus Christ in Nigeria, especially in north of Nigeria. I present to you also believers in Jesus Christ all over the world, especially areas where Christians are being persecuted and denied their right. Because you are a God of justice, arise and bring to an end this evil that is being mented upon your children in Jesus' name. Because you are a God of mercy, have mercy, deliver your children from this persecution in Jesus' name. Because you are the God of love, grant all of us who are going through this experience of persecution the heart to love, the heart to forgive, and the heart to continue to live with those who persecute us. By so doing, we will preach your love, we will preach your forgiveness, and your light will shine and change many souls and bring many who have wandered far away to your saving knowledge. Use us to accomplish this mission in Jesus' name. We thank you for the voice of the Christian martyrs. We thank you for their support and encouragement. We thank you for the role they've been playing in helping and building the capacity of our pastors and followers to know the theology of persecution and what the scripture says about Christians and those who follow Jesus. My prayer is, our Lord, all the knowledge they have impacted on us, we too will go and impact on others. And you will grant them more opportunity to come around us to impact and extend this knowledge to as many pastors as possible so that more believers will continue to live knowing the truth, understanding the truth, and serving you because they know the truth in Jesus' name. We pray that, Lord, you will reign your peace all over the world. You will unite the heart of the church so that we will continue to be one another keepers. You will unite the heart of the church so that we will know that when another part of the body suffers, we all suffer. You will help the church to continue to speak out and condemn evil where there is evil. You will help the church to continue to shine your glory and brighten where there is darkness. You will help the church to continue to show your love and win souls that have wandered far away from you. Thank you for this opportunity. I have to share my experience. 
and the experience that my fellow brothers and sisters in Nigeria and in Northern Nigeria, especially in Kaduna State, are going through. Our prayer is the Lord, you will use this testimony, you will use this experience to touch the life of many who will come, who will play their role, whether through advocacy to the government of the Alliance, whether through raising their voice to ensure that justice and equity is prevail in Nigeria, whether through calling on the United Nations and all other international agencies to remind Nigerians to live and obey the Charter of Human Rights so that Nigerian Christians will continue to serve God without molestation. Yes. We thank you because you will help us. We thank you because you've answered our prayers. You will do even more than what we prayed for. Yes. You will forgive us areas we have wronged you. You will show us mercy and you will use us to continue to preach your word by so doing will depopulate the kingdom of satan mm -hmm. and increase the kingdom of eternity yes. Yes. we pray this through christ our lord amen amen let me pray for you too uh, brother Thanks. father i just thank you for uh brother ayab and the work that you're doing through him and and all the work that is being uh advanced the kingdom being advanced in nigeria because of brave soldiers of the cross like my brother here I just ask that you'd keep him and his family protected, Amen. that uh, you'd give them wisdom when to speak and when not to speak, and uh, just help them, Lord, as they labor on in a very, very difficult situation, and yet you have prepared them and you prepared him and his team and the others, I think of Yanusa and all the others that are serving uh, in Kaduna and beyond. Lord, would you strengthen them for the work that you have called them to do? Thank you, Lord, for the partnerships that we can have, the friendships we can have that transcend mm. cultures and countries yes. because mm. we love Jesus. So would mm. you protect them? We thank you again for this mm. time we've had together. And in all things that Jesus would be glorified as, mm. as we've even heard from the story of uh, the treasure as he mm. has uh, been returned to his family because of his bravery yes. being led by your Holy Spirit these amazing amazing stories of your work yes. in the midst of difficulty we pray in jesus name yes. amen amen and again thank you reverend john joseph hayab uh, who is the kaduna state chairman of the christian association of nigeria also the country director of global peace foundation nigeria thank you for taking the time to be with us thank you also for having me and uh, we will continue to check in with you and looking forward to being together again in person and as we partner together to build God's kingdom. It's an incredible privilege to live in these times, dangerous, and yet the Holy Spirit is working in Nigeria. We see the growth of the church in the midst of everything that's going on. And if I can ask you viewers or those listening to the podcast, if you can rate or share this podcast or write a review, that will help more people find it and to support and help the persecuted church. And most importantly, to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. Again, Reverend Hyatt, thank you so much. Thank you and God bless you all. God bless you. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.